0: You're listening to the Apple Insider Podcast. Welcome to the Apple Insider Podcast, episode 79. This is Mikey Campbell back from the dead. With me today, Neil Hughes, Managing Editor, AppleInsider.com. How's it going, Neil?
1: Hey, Mikey. It's going pretty well.
0: Awesome. So, big news this week. Uh, of course, uh, Apple's fiscal third quarter earnings came out. Um... Mm-hmm beat street estimates uh, of course not <laughs> not as uh not as good as some investors would like but um you know 40 million iphones what do you think
1: i mean sales are still declining um and that is a point of concern on wall street where all they're interested in is growth but um the share price went up after earnings uh, by about six bucks um, because analysts were expecting results to be worse than they were. They came in a little bit better. Um, there was some good and some bad. I mean, obviously you still have iPhone sales declining. Um, but, uh, one of the strong points actually, uh, is even though, uh, iPad sales were down by a little bit, uh, the average selling price increased by like a hundred dollars or something. And, uh, they actually saw uh, their revenue increase, even though they sold fewer units. So that is a direct effect of the 9.7-inch iPad Pro launching uh, in March. So uh, you're seeing now that uh, Apple's making a push for more of the premium tablet market, even more premium than before, really, uh, considering you can get some of these Amazon tablets for like 50 bucks now or whatever it is. Um, They're really pushing for that 500-plus dollar market, and I would not be surprised if the iPad Mini um, does not get updated as frequently um, because I don't think Apple's really interested in the unit sales growth at this point as much as they are uh, finding ways to make it a, a, a formidable laptop replacement and, and uh, profitable uh, uh, high-margin business for them.
0: Interesting, because the Mini kind of carried iPad for for a little while there when uh, the full-size sales kind of uh, flagged. Maybe uh, early 2015 or so.
1: Yeah, I think that um, uh, really the iPad is something where Apple is still trying to figure out what it is. Uh, Certainly the hardware is excellent. The software uh, is lacking in many ways. We've talked about that before where Apple really needs to do more to increase productivity and things on the iPad. But slowly but surely they're getting there. Uh, that's one of the biggest disappointments, I think, with the iOS 10 announcement at WWDC is there really wasn't anything specifically for iPad uh, that was announced that was, any, that was really meaningful. And when you compare that to iOS 9 and all the features that it added for iPad that really made it uh, feel like a big update for iPad, uh, one of the rumors that I had read about was that uh, Apple's saving iPad-specific stuff for 10.1 and 10.2. Um, it is sometimes frustrating for Apple for as large as they are to be such a singularly focused company that they can't, you know, juggle a few things at once. But, um, yeah, I'm, I'm hopeful to see more emphasis on the software front going forward with the iPad. But it's uh, as someone who is a big fan of my iPad Pro, I have the 12.9-inch model. Um, it's good news to see that uh, things are turning around on the business stand front for Apple. Um, and that was really, I think, the, the biggest bright spot for them this last quarter.
0: Yeah, a lot of people are also talking about services growth. I mean, it's been growing... Uh, fairly consistently over the past few quarters. Uh, And I think people Mm -hmm. are just kind of now catching on to the fact that um, that's happening. I mean, it's always been growing.
1: This was a big narrative that Apple pushed earlier in the year when they were forecasting a decline, the first ever decline in iPhones. Uh, This has been the story that they want to tell. And it's an interesting story, and it's a good story. Um, But, (laughs) I mean, the amount of money they make on their services is still so minuscule. Um, again, this is all relative because Apple uh, said during this week's call that the size of their services business is growing so fast that it will be the size of a Fortune 100 company next year, which is incredible when you think about it. But it also shows the difference between the haves and the have nots because Apple is such a big company that this services revenue when compared to what the iPhone does for them is a drop in the bucket. It really, Apple's quarterly earnings are all iphone that's really what it is the mac and the ipad yeah whatever but as the iphone goes so does apple
0: and this quarter was 40.4 million are you eating no (laughs) yes look i live a very busy lifestyle okay
1: i eat when i can Anyhow, uh, the average selling price of the iPhone dropped uh, to under $600 uh, this last quarter, and that's really as a result of the um, success of the iPhone SE, uh, which has sold more than Apple expected. They, they don't break down by unit, but um, certainly um, the iPhone SE has driven down the average selling price, but the margins remain strong. Um, coming in at 38% on the quarter, which was a little better than they had expected on on uh, Wall Street. Yeah. But yeah, the services revenues last quarter grew 19%, mm-hmm. um, and they expect to continue growing. And it's a big part of Apple's business, but it's just not going to move the needle like the iPhone does.
0: On the uh, <clears throat> on the iPhone SE uh, th- thing, I was looking at taking a look at the SEC filing, the 10Q. <clears throat> and I noticed <throat> that um, I mean, it's not like a huge watermark or anything, but I noticed that the iPhone fell below sixty percent of uh, total revenue for the first time since I think uh, December quarter, 2014. Huh, interesting. So I mean, not not you know, I mean it usually hovers around sixty three. I think it got up to like sixty seven percent or something, but mm-hmm. it's kind of you know it's in the fifties now. It's so going back down. Maybe it'll be only uh, half of Apple's um, uh, money making product line in the near future. Who knows? I mean,
1: they announced this week that they reached a billion iPhones sold. That they did. And that is, that is a incredible achievement. But I mean, they are selling so many iPhones and at $600 a pop, I mean, people talk about what is going to be the next thing for Apple. What is going to be their next product? I don't think that it's possible to create a product that will sell that many at that price. I mean, Computers uh, have not been that big. Um, certainly wearables are not gonna get that big. No car is gonna be that big. Uh, the amount of money that's bringing in the sheer volume of phones that are being sold, and Apple will continue to sell, um, is kind of an insurmountable thing. If you're looking for the next big thing, I think you're looking wrong. I think you know the iPhone was certainly a great product that came around at the right place, right time. But I don't think it, it would be uh, very, very difficult to have a device come out, a new, a new category of device, Uh, that would be as big as the iPhone. I I, I would be shocked if they were able to do something like that. The iPhone is a a once-in-a-lifetime type of device. Apple glasses, come on, man. Right. Think big. I mean, what's your best-case scenario, right? I mean, iPads peaked at like 25 million and a quarter, which is pretty impressive considering it's a PC replacement, essentially. Uh, The Mac has never hit more than like 5, 5.5 million, I think. I don't think they've ever hit 6 million on the Mac. Um, The watch, I mean, what's the best you're going to do on the watch? 10, 15 million in a quarter. Maybe. You know, if they could drop the watch to 200 bucks and you know, integrate GPS you know, in the next four or five years, I could see them selling like 15 million of those in a quarter, but are you really gonna push beyond that? Is there a market, can you get to a point where you're selling 75 million watches in a quarter?
0: Well, no, I mean, you have to create a market. I mean, they created, they basically built the smartphone market. There was a market before it, but it wasn't a strong right. one. It, they made the smartphone market. I mean, they'd have to make. It, this is more. It, investors are kind of thinking about um, disruption, but I think they to get to iPhone levels again, they're going to have to go more towards creation, market creation, and I don't think that there's anything out there. I mean, of course, I sound like the uh, <laughs> I sound like the the people in the early nineteen hundreds who said uh, everything that could be invented has already been invented, <laughs> but. Uh, I mean, I don't know. The iPhone was based on mobile computing and communications, and I don't know. I don't see anything that can be so uh, widely accepted and you know widely needed right now. Do you...
1: yeah, I mean people. I mean, I could like see watches,
0: but they don't necessarily need a smartwatch per se.
1: If you had a smartwatch with its own LTE radio. Um, and it allowed you to leave your phone at home, how often would you leave your phone at home? Would you still bring your phone with you?
0: Well, yeah, no doubt, because, I mean, it's for a smartphone, it's not just a communications device. It's also a gaming device. It's also a way for me to um, you know, check in on news and stuff. I just can't do that, that kind of stuff with a 1.5-inch right. screen. It's, it's just not something that I want to do.
1: Right. I, I can see that, you know, if I'm going out with friends or something like that, um, the, the biggest thing I think would be the detriment of leaving my phone at home would be losing the camera uh, to take pictures and stuff like that if I'm going to an event or whatever. Um, the Texting, of course, you could replace that at least in very basic ways on a watch uh, wearable, um, making phone calls, you know, getting alerts, that kind of stuff. Um, I think there's something liberating about leaving your phone at home, and I'm excited for... Uh, a potential future where my watch is not something so dependent on the iPhone and kind of something that can stand on its own you've been watching
0: too much Dick Tracy my friend
1: (laughs) well you know I've been thinking about um, because right now I'm running my iPhone success with iOS 10 for work purposes obviously so I can write about the betas and stuff and I miss using my iPhone SE um, but I didn't want to put iOS 10 beta on there because the iPhone SE doesn't have 3D touch so I couldn't test out those features for for work purposes. Um, But I've been thinking, you know, because I'll have to get the iPhone 7 when it comes out to review that for work and stuff like that, too. And I was thinking it would be nice just to be able to switch between phones. And the watch prevents me from doing that. Uh, You know, if I didn't have the watch, I could just pop out the SIM card. iCloud keeps everything synced between devices and, and apps and all that kind of stuff. Wouldn't really be that big of a deal. But there is no way currently to easily switch your watch from one phone to another you have to de-pair it from the phone which then backs it up to the phone then you have to pair it with the other phone and then you lose all the stuff you backed up on the other phone and it's like crazy um that's one of those things i feel like it's kind of like the early days of the ipad uh, where you needed to connect it to a computer in order to set it up Mm -hmm. um which seems like the dark ages now when you think about it um, but I think that's one of those things that uh, in the next couple of years hopefully they'll be able to address. Because it would be nice, like, you think about this iPhone 7 Plus coming out, it's going to have this really cool dual lens camera on it. You know, that's a really cool feature. But I don't want to carry around a giant phone all the time. It would be nice to, if I had a phone that had those capabilities and I could use it on occasion, that would be nice. I, I realize that we're talking about, like, insane, nerdy, luxury stuff here of owning multiple phones and all that. but. You know, I think it's all in, best in in Apple's best interest to be able to sell device, more devices. Why not? I mean, you can... Uh, how many...
0: What is? The, is there a max to how many uh, watches you can pair with one phone? Because I know they obviously expanded that to be on one, right? But is there? Is there a cap on that?
1: I have no idea. I've, I have not tried. Yeah, I don't know why um, you want but to they, do that. I, they've I made it a lot easier... Um, uh, with watchOS 3, um, like for example you go on there and it shows your watch with the current face on it and it has the case design around the outside of it. So you can very very quickly tell if you have multiple watches which one is which and then you can switch between them. And that's one of those things where I could see, like for example, um, let's say that a new watch comes out this year, you you're already own the stainless steel one, right? Yep. So let's say a new watch comes out this year and it's got GPS and you really want that. Uh, but you want to keep your stainless steel watch because it still works and maybe you're going out for a nice night wearing a suit or something and it matches better. Um, I could easily see a scenario where somebody keeps last year's watch and then buys this year's Mm -hmm. and they use them for two different purposes. Mm -hmm. You might want to get the cheapest model just to get GPS. You might want to keep the stainless steel one because it looks nicer. Um, So yeah, that ability to switch between watches uh, makes sense. Mm -hmm. So why not give me the same ability to switch between phones?
0: True. They'd have to do a lot of... uh I think, well, for one thing, the watch would have to be much more autonomous, right? They'd have to... Yeah. Which is kind of what they're moving to, but very slowly. Um,
1: It's battery and processing power, really. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And also, I think uh, maybe authentication and security, I think they're possibly worried about that, the the implications of um, the watch, you know, being able to connect to multiple devices and being authenticated on multiple devices is kind of scary for them.
1: So here's a question for you. Apple likes to introduce um, technology on one device and then gradually bring it to others. We've seen that many times. Um, One of the big features that was introduced in the Apple Watch and eventually came to other devices was Force Touch, known as 3D Touch on the phone. Do you think that the first place that we will get an in-screen Touch ID Is on the iPhone or on the watch? I would think the more
0: logical thing would be for the watch, obviously, since there's like zero screen real estate. Yeah. Um, But I don't know. I mean, from what I've seen uh, as far as, you know, other companies and startups and stuff, that technology is is not. it's, It's kind of thick. It's not something that mm-hmm. would fit well in a space-constrained device like the watch, but theoretically, I would I would probably want it in watch. Right? I mean, it's, is it their only current device that does not have Touch ID? Mobile? It is, right? I think so.
1: Um, in terms of mobile, multiple, devices, yeah. I yeah. mean, unless you want to count an iPod or something. No, yeah. no. <laughs> iPod? They still sell iPod. those. Who needs that? <laughs> yeah. So. I, it is
0: coming. I, I could I would I would uh, I would think that yeah I think we heard rumors about it being integrated into the uh, digital digital crown. Mm-hmm. And there's some space in there, right? I mean, that's kind of dead space.
1: Yeah, that would be a very interesting way of doing it. I think it, because it's so small, mm-hmm. the scan area of the finger would be tiny. I don't know if that would hurt the accuracy of it. Probably.
0: I mean, they could enlarge the the digital crown a little bit, maybe. I don't know. I mean, I think they might get a good read on that. Uh, from the, or maybe stick it on the side somewhere, um, with that ridiculous side button that is finally getting good use now.
1: Yeah, it's so much better with Watch OS three. It's awesome. Oh
0: god, contacts, contacts, and Apple Pay. <laughs> two two things. One, one pretty useless for me, which is contacts on Apple Watch, and yeah, Apple Pay. I, well, it's not, it's not widely available where I live, so um, that, that button got little to no use with uh, os1 and os2
1: did you see there was a rumor that we actually passed on or it wasn't a rumor it was a patent of uh, adding the digital crown to an ipad and i was like what, what? yeah no." the they... entire purpose of the digital crown is scrolling and being able to view content um and i do that all the time if i'm doing something on my watch and i'm reading something or flipping through it you just instinctively scroll with the crown because it's Easier, less movement, and also you aren't obscuring the content. But the nice thing about having an iPad with all that real estate is you are not obscuring the content when you're touching the screen. There's plenty of room there. Yeah, it would be there'd be no use for that even on an iPhone. Yeah, pointless. I
0: mean, there's been a bunch of patents about digital crown. I think I saw one um, that also allowed it to be used with like a, a laptop, which is I mean ridiculous. It'd be it would be akin to having multiple touchpads on. And one that only works in uh, what, two dimensions, or one dimension, actually.
1: One thing that did come out this week, though, that we've heard a few times that um, it sounds plausible to me, although I will wait to see how it's implemented, is uh, the idea that the home button on this year's iPhone won't move. It'll actually uh, simulate the feeling of a click, much like the Force Touch trackpad does on a MacBook Pro. Yeah, I could definitely see and that. And a 12-inch MacBook I could see it, but you would need a very tiny localized motor in the home button. Actually, to make it feel like you pressed it.
0: Actually, well, yeah, uh, but I mean, they they did a really good job simulating the the click with the um, force touchpad. Right. It's incredible. It's absolutely incredible. Yeah.
1: So um, Victor I, was using this MacBook for a year. Yeah. and he Didn't realize this didn't click. <laughs> that's how good it is. <laughs> that's
0: that's good stuff. But then again... I will say,
1: though, it is a little... um, uh, When you go back to a trackpad that clicks, you can definitely feel the difference. Right. If you go back, you're like, oh, this kind of moves, and it it just feels different. It's one of those things where when you move forward to the Force Touch trackpad, you don't really notice it, but when you move back, you notice it.
0: Yeah, it's your brain, man, playing tricks on you.
1: (laughs) I I think the Force Touch trackpad is absolutely incredible. I think it's one of the the most ingenious uh, things that Apple has done in in the last five years, frankly, um, it's very impressive. And I think that if they can uh, get something that works just as well on the home button on an iPhone, I'm all for it. But I remain skeptical until I try it because that's one of those you got to feel it to know it things. And I was very skeptical about the force touch trackpad, um, And I'm a big fan. So I have faith in Apple to do it right. But it is a very interesting idea uh, that really paves the way for thinner phones, uh, waterproof phones, and also potentially just getting rid of the home button entirely.
0: Yeah, I don't know if they're going to get rid of the button anytime soon, but I could just I could see them modifying it. the mm-hmm. The assembly itself is is quite big, right? Uh, when right. everything else in the phone is getting so small, I mean, they're going to get rid of the headphone jack supposedly. Um, and that's kind of, that's super old technology. Um, and, and the, and the button is kind of the way that Apple implemented it is kind of in a, kind of a weird place, right? It's right above the lightning connector. Uh, mm-hmm. and when you're slimming down phones, there's really no, I mean, you can't really play with, um, there's not really much leeway in terms of where you can cram components and stuff, especially on the peripheral of a, of a peripheries of a device where they have, like, speakers and microphones and all that kind of good stuff. <clears throat> so I don't know. I, I, I could definitely see the capacitive home button coming, but I don't think it will be this year. Hmm.
1: Does it feel to you like we have the full picture of what this phone is going to be? I mean, there's no. a story this week saying it's going to be called the iPhone 6 SE the general consensus is that it won't be called the iPhone 7 because it's not a big enough upgrade. Uh, but it feels like something about this feels like it has a piece missing. I can't put my finger on it. I don't really know what it is. We we know what the phone's going to look like. We have a general idea of what it's going to do. But I it, something just doesn't feel right. I, am I wrong there? Yeah, I think it
0: comes down to the sources of, uh, of these leaks. Um, to me, it seems like there's leaks that are coming out that have been floating around for, I don't know, almost a year. And then there's stuff that's more recent. Right. And people keep re-reporting and and regurgitating this stuff. Like it's new leaks, which kind of muddies the situation. Like is the phone going to have a headphone jack or not? Is it going to have smart connector? Like some of these things we know Apple makes, A huge number of iterations of a product before taking it to production. So, you know, what if these early leaks are some of the prototype models that have, you know, that were scrapped six months ago, but they just keep popping up in the news, kind of confusing people? Then again, then there's, you remember, Apple uh, used to uh, make, you know, uh, phony prototypes just, you know, throw people all the scent. They haven't done that in a while because, you know, who cares when you're selling 40 million iPhones, you don't need to be so protective over your, over your product. Um, But they might, I don't know, maybe they're doing that again. Who knows? Yeah, but I, I do agree. There's, there's something that we're not, we're not seeing yet, or there's something that Apple has in the works that I just, we just don't, we can't. Put a finger on it, I guess. So exactly what it is, what do you think?
1: I mean, there. You know, at this point, we know the phone's going to look largely the same. It's going to ditch the headphone jack. This this home button rumor is is iffy, but we'll see if it pans out. Um, it's expected it's going to have the same screen technology, same general look, all that kind of stuff. I mean, but there are so many things that they could do either on a software front or. In terms of proprietary hardware that we just won't know until they make the announcement. Like, what if—and um, this is obviously extremely wishful thinking—but uh, what if the chip in the next iPhone is some sort of huge breakthrough in terms of battery life? Um, obviously, screen technology is still one of those things that is going to be a hindrance to battery life, but. What if they somehow managed to, you know, squeeze a bigger battery in because they got rid of the headphone jack and all that, and essentially double the iPhone? Ba- I mean, I don't know if that's the case, but that feels like one of those things that we may not even know up until the announcement and the kind of, you know, uh, little secret they can keep hidden up their sleeve until they start shipping the product.
0: Yeah, it reminds me of when they uh, launched three um, D touch, you know, on the six S. I mm-hmm. mean, no one really saw that happen, I mean, and they integrated like a, a full haptics feedback system into an iPhone, which is not something small. I mean, they, they, well,
1: we knew that the phone was going to have 3D touch. We just didn't know what it was going to do. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm talking about like the haptic system, the, uh, what, what do they call
0: it? Not forced feedback, uh, the taptic engine. taptic engine, yeah. So, I mean, it's not just like a redesigned vibration motor. It's like, it's a complete standalone system that they developed on their own, produced on their own it's not something small so i mean you're saying something like that maybe could be in the work something inside the phone that uh only um the producer of that part and i guess late later in the production stage the whoever's assembling at foxconn uh would know about
1: but even if they're assembling it you know it may not look that much different or whatever um, it, it, it's that marriage of hardware and software that makes Apple unique. We knew that the phone was going to have this Taptic Engine and 3D Touch last year, but we didn't really know how Apple was going to implement it or what its value was going to be. Now, you can make the argument that a year later we still don't really how know because it's not very you. well used.
0: It, I use it at least once, maybe twice a week.
1: <laughs> I am using it more in iOS 10, but I still yeah, uh, me, do not... I only use an iOS ten because it forces me to. I do not use it um for the multitasking thing. I never got used to that swiping from the left side and pressing um, I still double tap the home button for multitasking.
0: Well it it's not um it's not a consistent experience. Like you might do right. it once, but the, the next time you do it it <laughs> you'll right. sw- I don't know, scroll back in Safari or something. <clears throat> it's not uh it's not well implemented like its other um, other uses uh, like uh, on the app stuff, the app shortcuts, I guess, would be useful, but uh, it basically is just like an app launcher, right? It doesn't really do anything. You need to go into the app itself, and then you
1: know. Well, with iOS 10, now you shortcuts. get widgets, so yay, widgets! So the same widgets that show up on the lock screen you can get from an app by just four uh, force pressing 3D touching on it, um, and then uh, it'll pop up whatever data. Um, so you don't have to actually open the app. I don't. I don't know how useful it is. I haven't really used that feature with the uh, with 3D touch. But uh, you know, that's one of those things where the software is going to continue to come together, and the hardware capability is there, and. Maybe with this next iPhone, there's some sort of software breakthrough that we just won't know until Apple announces it, and we can't know. And that software breakthrough may require hardware in the phone.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Apple likes to do that, and we won't see it until the very well, it'll be obscured in the last beta, but maybe Uh, recently they've been pretty good about uh, um, kind of ferreting out that stuff in the in the late betas.
1: Yeah, I think the most exciting thing dug up from the beta really is the dark mode UI that people have found. You know
0: what that means. It's time for OLED.
1: Probably not till next year, yep. but yeah. Next year, man. What do you think they'll call this year's phone?
0: I don't think they'll call it the S I don't think they'll bring the SE into the picture. Because yeah. unless they unless they announce a second phone that no one is talking about and that will be the flagship and then the All the leaks and stuff that we've been seeing are the iPhone 6 SE, which will launch alongside it. But that would mean Apple will have four phones, four (laughs) new phones this year, which is probably not something that's going to happen. But I don't think it'll be the SE. I can see them calling it something else other than the 7 because it isn't really a design change.
1: I go both ways on that. I feel like they could just because I mean, it's just branding. Who cares? They could just stubbornly stick with 7 and say, all of these changes that we've made make for an entirely new... I mean, you know the marketing. You could hear yeah. Phil Schiller saying it now, right? Yeah. All these changes we made make for an entirely new phone experience. Uh, you've never experienced anything like this. Uh, this is a completely new generation of product, iPhone 7. I can see them doing that. Yeah.
0: What if they go... I mean, they could go 7 this year, and even if they do re- redesign next year, they can call it the 8. They don't have to go 7S. Right. <clears throat> kind of like, you know, iPhone... Uh to iPhone 3G, you know, et cetera.
1: Yeah. Well, one of the rumors about next year's phone was that the new redesign is only going to apply to the 5.5 inch model. Yeah. I, I could see that
0: too, but only in, only in the case of that they are um, constrained on probably supplies of the uh, OLED panels, which, I mean, you know, suppliers are still right now just trying to get their facilities up and running so they can handle something like that um uh we, we did cover i think lg
1: how much money did they infuse into their next one gen? and a half billion or something yeah yeah everybody's prepping for these oled screens they want to expand production so that they can get in on apple's supply chain but the biggest oled manufacturer in the world is samsung you got to think they're going to win most of the orders there
0: Oh yeah i'm sure but even so i well, didn't we cover uh someone's estimates as to um how much of the world's uh, oled supply apple would devour if they were to implement to oled's green in their flagship product i think it was something we,
1: we, we did have things. an ihs uh, uh forecast today basically saying that apple making an oled phone will be the tipping point they think that most phones shipped uh by 2020 will be um uh, OLED screens overtaking LCD. It'd
0: be kind of hard because Apple's going to corner the market, right? On all that stuff, there, no one's going to want to. I mean, if you have a choice of selling to Apple and Xiaomi, <laughs> you're you're going to pick Apple. I mean, that's
1: the same. Well, but the idea is, you know, between all the companies out there—Sharp, Samsung, um, you know, all uh, all these, this LG, all the display makers ramp up production, then they can, you know, meet a global demand. For, Think so? I don't you know, know,
0: man. I think we. I think. Uh, I think the OLED supply is a, a little overestimated by people not in the industry.
1: Well, that would be one reason for Apple to only go with the high end model for it. Um, yeah, that's the, I mean, that's
0: what I, I was thinking. But I yeah. don't know, man, because I don't want to buy a five point five inch iPhone, and this year I might have to because the the camera camera is compelling enough. I mean, it's more than optical image stabilization.
1: Right. That's exactly what I'm thinking because you know how much I hate these big phones, but if I want to get, because I love the idea of having a really nice camera on me, and that's really the most exciting upgrade that I get in every year's phone is how much better the camera is. You know, I'm shooting 4K video now and all that. Um, uh, You know, having that big phone kills me, but I could see myself in certain situations wanting to use the big phone for the camera.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I tried the uh, 6S Plus for, I don't know, a month or so this past Mm -hmm. cycle, and I I couldn't. It's just too big. (laughs) It feels like I'm I'm carrying, I mean, it's a phablet, so it feels like I'm carrying not a cell phone with me. Mm -hmm. It's more than a cell phone that I'm taking with me. It's not something that I just pick up and walk out the door with. I don't know. It doesn't fit in my pockets, you know. I wear board shorts. Do you shorts like the
1: size pants. of the 6S? Uh
0: yeah, I mean I like the screen. I got used to it. It's I, the format of the of the of the SE is perfect for my hand size and pant pocket size and all that good stuff. But um, I think the benefits of having a larger screen uh, outweigh the negatives of the overall large
1: form factor how many macs do you own
0: including ones i don't use <laughs> yes uh like four oh including the one uh five maybe
1: how many iphones do you own oh god uh, six six or seven maybe See, this is what I'm saying. You know, to to switch between these devices or to have them available, um, I I don't think would would be that crazy of an idea to make it easier to switch between phones, especially with the watch. Uh, I would love to see it this fall. I don't think we're going to see it, unfortunately. But um, I think they've announced everything they're going to announce, at least with respect to iOS 10 and Watch OS. But uh, I mean, certainly, I have a couple Macs. I have uh, a few phones. So yeah,
0: i like to go back and rock the uh, 4s for a while. <laughs>
1: I I love the design of the uh the SE. Um and it just feels good in your hand and uh it I it's it's the the shape and size of it are so much so that I don't even feel like I need to use a case with it whereas I have to put a case on my Success. Um you just can't use it one-handed uh very well. You can't grip it and uh that that's the main issue for me.
0: Yeah, and this and this, the 6 series design is very slippery with its Curved, it is. Curved edges and whatnot.
1: Yeah. I but, I mean, I, there are cases where I could see myself going, yeah, I'd, I'd like to have a plus-size phone. The camera, um, you know, if I'm watching video on the go, for example, and I don't want to bring an iPad with me or something, um, you know, a lot of times I'll be out in the back of a cab or at a restaurant and I'm streaming a sports game. Um, and, you know, that would be a great opportunity to have a bigger screen so you can see more of it. Also, the extra battery life you get from the bigger mm. form factor is great, too.
0: Yeah. Yeah, so, I mean,
1: there there are a lot of advantages that even I admit to as somebody who doesn't like big phones. Um, I think I'm, I'm in a position where this new phone upgrade coming out this year, uh, you know, I if I'm just getting this, if it's if everything that we've heard rumored thus far is all that it is and that's it, I'll probably just return the phone after I review it. I don't really see a need to keep that. But I hate to say stuff like that because I don't know and nothing's been announced and it's just so presumptive and stupid to say that. <laughs> Never know, man.
0: The uh, the new camera might be so incredible.
1: I can't, well, especially on the on the smaller model, the 4.7-inch the model, if it doesn't have the dual lens thing. Mm. I can't see what kind of an upgrade would be so significant that I would have to keep that phone, especially ditching the headphone jack and all the other concessions and stuff. That's why I think there's got to be some especially for that 4.7 inch model, you know, if if the smart connector and the dual lenses are going to be exclusive to the plus model, that 4.7 I look at it and it's like maybe it's a big upgrade if somebody has like a 5s, but at for a 6 even I don't know.
0: I think a lot of people are going to skip this upgrade.
1: Well, a lot of people are skipping the success upgrade,
0: which is not good.
1: That's why sales are down year over year, so. Yeah. Although you know, it's a maturing market and not a lot of need for um the phone and tough year over year comparisons and all that, you know, you can make all the excuses you want, but the reality is they're selling less phones than they were last year.
0: Samsung's phone sales are up. (laughs) Watch out guys. Um, But uh, one last bit of iPhone rumor. Um, Who was it that reported that digitimes reported on the Iris scanning technology that is potentially coming in 2018. What do you think about that? I'm kind of, uh, dubious that Apple would move away from the tried and true touch ID. I mean, touch ID is so great because you don't think about it. It's not something that it's not like the old fingerprint sensors that you swipe. It's a unconscious decision that you make when you turn on your phone. You just, you turn it on and you're authenticating at the same time. Um, iris recognition is not at that level yet you would have to probably hold your phone up to your face i mean they they, they've made purchases about you know face recognition companies and stuff that could help in this area but i don't think it's there yet what do you think
1: i mean the technology isn't there yet but until somebody takes it there you know i mean you could always say that i I feel like um i like this rumor um, and the reason I like it is because I don't think it has to replace Touch ID. I think it can be in tandem with it. Um, for example, there might be situations where it can't see your face or your eye, and, and you want to just use the, the f- fingerprint sensor. But vice versa, there could be times where, for example, you're wearing gloves. Um, anybody who lives anywhere that gets a cold winter knows that. It's a big pain in the butt. You're walking down the street. You want to use your phone. you got to take off your gloves. Your hands are freezing, blah, blah, blah. So um, this is one of those things where I, it makes a lot of sense. Um, you could integrate this into Macs. You could integrate this into iPads and watches and everything else. Uh, uh, imagine an Apple TV with some sort of a camera that, that did that, too. And this is technology that Apple's been interested in for a while um they uh in the when the first ipad was being worked on back in 2010 before it was released one of the earlier prototypes of it uh they toyed around with was a device that recognized your face and automatically presented your content to you when you picked it up uh it was seen by apple as something that would be one device for the whole family Uh, as you said the technology was not there and so they ended up just not doing it but they continue to be interested in that future and that idea and that is why they've Purchase these facial recognition companies and that sort of stuff, um, and they presumably behind the scenes are still working toward that. So I think some sort of facial iris, whatever, secure recognition is an inevitability, whether it comes out two years from now, five years from now, 10 years from now, you know, we will see. Uh, but I don't think that it necessarily has to replace Touch ID. I think it can be used in tandem with it um, and make for a very compelling and convenient uh, use case. How long until we got the stories about your phone is watching you? I mean, don't we already have them? Well, I
0: mean, even even more so. We don't really see that much about Apple. I mean, they're so high on the high horse with their uh, with their customer privacy stuff. Uh, we don't really. I do. mean,
1: you can get a, a Samsung phones now and stuff that'll unlock with your face. That, that's yeah. like one of those features of Android. I think actually, it's built into the operating system, but it's not terribly secure.
0: Yeah. Also, I'm not really sure. I know that everyone's iris is unique, but how, what kind of resolution do you need to to see the differences? I feel like it would, you know, the the regular cameras on on an iPhone probably won't be able to discern those minor, minor differences.
1: Well, and and potentially you could have Uh, You know, one of the rumors about next year's phone is that the OLED screen is going to hide the camera, the FaceTime camera behind it. Mm -hmm. Um, You could, in theory, have more complex camera arrays included in the phone, um, you know, because for aesthetic purposes, you may not want that now. But uh, if they could hide it behind the screen and have small enough components, potentially they could do something like that.
0: Yeah, the per-pixel technology of OLED really opens the door to... Whole bunch of new uh, possibilities. <clears throat> I remember there was a uh, there was a patent that Apple had. I think it was like a. I think the pixels in the display also doubled as um, light sensors, which were you know basically cameras. So it had like all these. The screen itself was a camera. It wasn't. It didn't hide a camera. Every pixel in the display was part of the camera. So it was. That's awesome. It's kind of yeah. like blowing up the the um, like a like a CMOS sensor to the scale of (laughs) like a 5.5 inch display so I could see that that'd be be interesting Victor and
1: I talked about this a few weeks ago where if you're talking to somebody and you look just to the left or to the right of their eyes like in person Mm -hmm. you can tell even though you're you know you might only be looking you know six inches to the left of their face people Mm -hmm. can tell um, even from a distance and it's kind of disconcerting and you have that same thing with uh, technology now whether you're on a Mac or you're on an iPhone or whatever. It's very personal,
0: mm-hmm. but when you're
1: doing a FaceTime call, yeah, you're still looking yeah. just above their head right, or right. Below, in the case of the camera the a little below where the camera is. And that seems like a very Apple thing to do to address that issue and to put the camera in the screen where you're looking so that you're looking right at the person when you talk to them. That's that level of human intimacy uh, that Apple is always trying to achieve, and that seems like a very Apple thing to do.
0: Yeah. Well, personally, I look through people when I talk to them. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, but yeah, I, I see what you're saying. It's uh, it's definitely it's definitely something they would want
1: to. Uh, it's yeah, not just for an aesthetic reason, for a uh, communication reason, for they personal want that connection, key. man. Yeah, definitely. I, that's something I could see them doing, and I, and I would not be surprised. Uh, the rumor is it'll be a next year's phone, and that would not surprise me at all. Shifting
0: gears, no pun intended, pun intended, to uh, Apple Car. Um, there's a couple reports this week on Apple's Project Titan, the uh, first being Apple bringing Bob Mansfield back into the fold to potentially help out with their automotive initiative. So uh, Mansfield's been out of the picture for... Um, you know, since what, 2012 or after 2012, when he announced that he was leaving or, uh, you know, stepping down from his post as, <clears throat> as a um, hardware chief. Um, Now he's back. Has he, has he been gone this whole time or has he just been, you know, kind of floating around Cupertino helping here and there? I think he was an advisor, right? To Tim Cook. Yeah. he,
1: he He's had an interesting trajectory where, He announced his retirement, Uh, it did not go over well internally, this was back in 2012. Um, Apple really kind of assessed the situation and said, well, we can't have this. So they apparently threw a boatload of cash at Mansfield to keep him around. Um, He came back like three months later as an advisor to Tim Cook. Um, He's no longer a part of the executive team, but he has been with Apple in some mysterious capacity. Um, For the last uh, four or so years, um, there's some belief that, you know, he's had hands in products that have come along, including the Apple Watch. And uh, in a shakeup um, of the personnel on the uh, so-called Project Titan team, Mansfield is said to have been handed the keys, so to speak, um, to the project uh, as of this year. Um, And then you pair that with the uh, news that was uh, broken today that the former CEO of QNX, uh, BlackBerry's uh, uh, operating system maker, um, gentleman by the name of Dan Dodge, uh, was also hired by Apple, um, which is a big deal because this is a guy who uh, knows a thing or two and pretty much wrote the book on Uh, these um, integrated operating systems uh, that run in devices like cars and stuff like that. Mm. So um, the team is kind of coming together and it seems like uh, in the last few months the rumors have been more focused on the software and development side of it than on the actual physical building of a car. And one of the things that was presented today was Apple can keep their options open by focusing on the software side of it. by potentially maybe partnering with a manufacturer and being the brains in their car rather than building their own. I believe the expectation is Apple wants to own the whole kit and, uh, will uh, want to build the car as well, but that's a very, uh, difficult thing to do considering the cost that has to go into it and the, uh, decades of experience that automakers have that Apple would have to be, would have to catch up on. But people said the same thing about a watch too. And here we are.
0: It's a little different though. There's a heavy industry and, uh, <laughs> I don't know, a smartwatch is kind of an Apple's wheelhouse, right? It's a portable computer. Car is not a I mean, however however much tech analysts say that a car is basically a computer on wheels, it it's not. It's it's a heavy industry that you know, it these companies have hundreds of years of collective experience. Some have over a hundred years themselves in making automobiles and um, it's not really something that you just step into Uh, whether I mean you can throw a bunch of cash at it you can hire the best but until you you know get a product out there see how it's received get it you know road tested and all that kind of good stuff it's just not it's it's not it's not it's incredibly difficult I mean
1: I mean this thing before it ships it's gonna have to be pre-announced at a level that Mm -hmm. that apple has never done before um you think about the iphone it was announced in january of 2007 it launched that june uh you think about the ipad it was announced in january and launched i think march um you look at the apple watch it was announced in september didn't launch till the next april Right. Uh, You're with a product like this to have it, as you said, road tested to have the certifications to have the I mean, you're talking about a self-driving vehicle. This isn't something you can just throw on the road. There's permits and all kinds of extensive testing that have to be done. And that can't be done, you know, hidden in a van, a mapping van or something. This is something that is going to have to be uh, pre-announced potentially years in advance uh, in order to get all the proper permitting and stuff to get to market, I believe.
0: Right. And also, uh, I think it's, uh, people vastly underestimate the work that goes into a car. It's not just an engine and, you know, uh, a drivetrain I and mean, these things, these things are platforms that a lot of companies use for 20 or more years on the, on the same car. They change the skin of it, but the underlying mechanics are, are largely the same. Like, you know, app, uh, Ford's, uh, you know, Fox platform they've used they used that they no longer use it but they used it um, you know for I don't know how many years 20 years these things are huge investments and they take not only years of um, you know aftermarket tweaking and stuff but uh, you know they they work on these things for decades and then they launch the platform and then they use it for another couple decades and it's not something that you just cycle every year.
1: Let well, me play devil's Tesla's advocate car. here. Yeah. When, when, you, when you're reviewing a car, testing a car, driving a car, reading about a car, whatever, what do people talk about? They talk about the handling. Ugh. They talk about the, um, the, the smoothness of the ride. They talk about, uh, you know, the acceleration. This, um,
0: <laughs> this is the zero to 60 argument that I, oh, God.
1: But the, but that's a big deal, you know, the, the, how mean, does the so car feel when, when it's oh. accelerating, when it's braking, when it's turning? Those are so, they're, they're, you know, the car becomes an extension of you, uh, you between your feet and your hands, the control of it and all that. There's a feeling on a car, you know, whether it's low to the ground to give you a sense of speed or high up to, uh, to make you feel safe on the road in your big SUV or whatever. So much of that stuff won't apply with a self-driving Apple car. The user experience mm. becomes completely different because you're not the one controlling the wheel. And you know maybe we're getting too far ahead of ourselves here because for the foreseeable future, you're gonna have to remain behind the wheel for safety purposes. But I mean, there's eventually gonna be a day where not only um, does the car drive itself, but it'll be illegal for you to drive a car because the robots will be safer than we are, you know? Yeah. Um, but I think that that is a big part of it that, that existing car companies um, maybe don't have the expertise that Apple has in terms of a user experience um, and an area where they could potentially uh, shake up the market in big ways.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that would, be, uh, that would be a thing, wouldn't it? What do you well, think I mean, the, a, a level, it's, a uh, different,
1: it's a completely different experience if you're not mm-hmm. driving.
0: Yeah. I look forward to that day, although I don't know.
1: A hundred years from now, it'll be a novelty to be able to go somewhere and drive a car. And it'll be like a closed off area, like bumper cars or something. It's going to be like demolition, man.
0: <laughs> They're going to have the uh, the old gas guzzler done.
1: And Taco done. Bell wins the uh, food wars. Exactly. <clears throat> but
0: also, um, interesting to see people walk back their predictions on Apple Car Hardware and... Uh, Kind of saying, you know, hey, we always said that they're working on car software and, and only maybe hardware.
1: I cannot see a situation where. Apple is making the brains for multiple manufacturers of cars, maybe one company. But I mean, the the marriage between especially in something like a self-driving car, I mean, geez, this is not like a removable brain that you can just plug into a car and make it work. There are so many factors here uh, at play that it would make it very difficult for for Apple to, you know, be the brains in a Ford and a and a uh, and a Maserati, you know, (laughs) like it's just it's a completely different market. It's a completely different. I, I, I think that if they were going to partner with another company, you know, say BMW or whatever it would be, that would be the partnership and that would be it.
0: Yeah. Kind of like Google, right? I mean, that's kind of the road they're trying to go down. Although they have, they have multiple, multiple, uh, irons in the fire at this point with their Google car. But yeah, the
1: the partnership doesn't make a lot of sense for many reasons, but as, as you said, just the hundreds of years of collective experience of automobile banking that Apple does not have. Um, that And going beyond the things we were talking about in terms of the experience, but the actual functionality and, and uh, reliability of the vehicle. I mean, you know, modern cars are pretty great in terms of how infrequently they break down and how infrequently you blow a tire, but it still does happen.
0: That is most definitely true. Well... That about wraps it up for this week. Um, that was episode 79 of the Apple Insider Podcast. Again with me this week was Neil Hughes, managing editor. You can find him at appleinsider.com and follow his ramblings on Twitter at Neil. I'm Mikey Campbell. I can also be found on appleinsider.com. As for Twitter, you can find me at MikeyCampbell81. Have a good one.